Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. It's the first episode of season three of Mama Needs a Moment. We are opening the season with our winter roundtable. It's the last roundtable with our 2022 expert panelists. The roundtables are often our most well-liked episodes. After combing through several reputable sources, which will be named within the episode, we compiled a list of the top five health concerns affecting women. Today, we will hear our expert panelists discuss cancer, heart disease, and maternal health issues based on the perspective of their profession. Enjoy. Her Health Collective hosts four roundtables each year in an effort to bring together our experts and dive deep into the topics that matter to moms most. We have found that these roundtables are often our most well-liked episodes, both to record and for our listeners. Each of the experts represented in our roundtables have different professional backgrounds and specialties, areas of interest. When they come together and discuss women's health, you can expect to get different perspectives based on their area of focus. This is also a time for the experts to collaborate with professionals from other industries in order to create a more holistic model of care. Our goal is to expand not only the experts referral network, but to emphasize the importance of collaborative healthcare, which is very important to us at Her Health Collective. After combing through several sources, such as the World Health Organization, the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, WebMD, the US Food and Drug Administration, CDC, just to name a few, we have compiled a list of the top health concerns affecting women. And today we are going to hear our expert panelists discuss those top women's health issues based on the perspective of their profession. Today, we are honored to be joined by several of our 2022 Her Expert panelists. We will take a few moments to let each of our experts introduce themselves and share their area of expertise, mostly so that our listeners can hear each expert's voice and have a better idea of who is speaking during the upcoming conversation. So just going in the order of how each expert is on my screen, Dr. Sharice, can you please introduce yourself? I am Dr. Sharice Johnson, a licensed clinical mental health counselor and the founder of Jade Integrative Counseling and Wellness in Charlotte, North Carolina, where myself and the other clinicians support individuals, families, and couples from ages 13 and up. Some of our specialties center around eating disorders, crisis and trauma, and marriage and family, and I'm excited to be here. We're so happy to have you. Thank you, Dr. Sharice. Nicole, will you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Nicole Wallace. I'm also a licensed clinical mental health counselor. I own a group practice in North Raleigh, um, North Carolina. The name of our practice is Transformation Counseling and Consulting. And we actually specialize in helping women who are struggling uh, with anxiety and depression, but we do generalize and see others as well. Thank you, Nicole. Carrie? Hi, my name is Carrie Lett. I am a registered dietitian and certified lactation consultant and the founder of Milestones Pediatric and Maternal Nutrition. Thanks, Carrie. Maris? Hi, I'm Maris. I am the co-owner of Carolina Birth and Wellness, which is a um, full-spectrum resource center supporting families at every step of their reproductive health journeys, from body work to educational classes to doula support. 
we are happy to serve families across the Triangle area of North Carolina. Thanks, Maris. Happy to have you here. And last but certainly not least, Christy. Hi, I'm Christy Maloney, registered dietitian and certified eating disorder specialist. My practice is Enhanced Nutrition, and we are located in Charlotte. We actually share space with Dr. Sharice and her team. Our focus is, of course, on eating disorders and weight-neutral approaches to medical nutrition therapy. Um, there's myself and four other dietitians kind of scattered around in different places, but yeah, we all work together that way. Thank you, Christy and everyone. It always makes me so excited when I see everybody here together on the screen in front of me. And I just get thrilled to listen to the information that you're going to give us as well as our community. So thank you for being here. We're going to dive into our first question. The increasing number of internet users and the overabundance of information accessible to those users makes what we're doing right now, the discussion all together with collaborative women's health care providers, so important. We are striving to fill the gaps in public knowledge of these issues and provide accurate information. So let's start talking about the top women's health related concerns. What are they? Our compiled list after looking at numerous resources, like Chrissy had just said, include cancer, heart disease, maternal health, reproductive health, which includes STDs, STIs, HIV, UTIs, as well as mental health, which includes depression, suicide, anxiety, et cetera. So let's begin by discussing cancer and heart disease. We're gonna tackle them together in this first question. According to the CDC, Heart disease is the leading cause of death for African-American and white women in the United States. Among American Indian and Alaska Native women, heart disease and cancer cause roughly the same number of deaths each year. For Hispanic and Asian or Pacific Islander women, heart disease is second only to cancer as a cause of death. When we say heart disease, we're referring to several types of heart conditions, including coronary artery disease, and heart attack. The most common cancers affecting women are breast, cervical, and some skin cancers. How do you see cancer and heart disease affecting the women you work with? And based on your specialty, what do you do to support these women? I can speak to um, me as a licensed clinical mental health counselor. Oftentimes I'll see people after they've been diagnosed um, and so they're dealing with the emotions that come with a diagnosis or dealing with changes in their family or their abilities and things like that. And so we try to provide support around coping skills, about dealing with life transitions, about expectations, family dynamics. So I can speak to this a little bit too. As a dietitian, I didn't mention that I specifically see women during fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and kids. So this isn't really a topic that honestly comes up that often in my practice. I'm sure that Christy can attest to this, that there's a lot of dietitians that specialize in this area can help those women. And typically the things that would be kind of talked about would be prevention from a healthy diet and lifestyle. In my practice, we do do breastfeeding, which has been shown in research to help kind of reduce the risk of breast cancer. So really supporting mom's goal to breastfeed. I know all women can't breastfeed, but if 
that is her goal and that is what she's working on trying to support her so that we can hopefully get her that benefit of decreasing her cancer risk later on. Yeah, Carrie, I, I agree Like with the different specialties. It's not something that I see all the time either, but I will say, you know, when we do see this cancer, heart disease, that kind of thing, a lot of times we will see women blame themselves. You know, I didn't do it right. I, this is my fault somehow, that kind of thing. And then, you know, what we also see is a lot of anxiety, of course, right? Like with any of those diagnoses and, you know, as a dietitian, especially we see a lot of like, oh, I have to make a 180 lifestyle change and absolutely everything I do. And right now, and it becomes really overwhelming. So, you know, for us, we really try to support from the perspective of, you know, how can we help make changes that are going to be beneficial to the treatment of your heart disease, your cancer, whatever you have going on, but um, not feel unsustainable, unmanageable, and even more overwhelming when that's coupled with the diagnosis. Dr. Derny, I'm actually going to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, that's good because I was about to unmute. Talk, oh, yay, so. <laughs> yay. I was actually going to ask you from your perspective, because being a physical therapist, yes, your specialty is in pelvic floor rehabilitation, but I can only assume that you perhaps have worked with some women who have undergone surgeries um, in terms of cervical, uterine, ovarian, et cetera. Do you have anything that you can talk about with that? Yeah. You know, I, I actually tell you probably the most common is just post-mastectomy. Um, there's a lot of discomfort and pain um, post-surgery there. And then if women decide to get the augmentation um, afterwards in order to have that, they actually put the implant underneath the pec muscle and that can cause the shoulder to freeze and some issues there. Um, and so probably most commonly with this population, I see um, post-breast cancer um, and surgery there. Um, pelvic floor-wise, um, there may be, I know that there's some pain and discomfort afterwards, especially if there's some radiation involved. There can be some muscle guarding and pelvic pain associated with that. Um, you imagine if there's some hormone changes from a uterine cancer, um, that there's some tissue changes um, there in the vaginal tissue. And so women's health in PT can certainly help um, with that in terms of understanding the body changes and then just being able to help the tissues change because the body's different now post-surgery. But most commonly, personally, I see post-mastectomy. But I do know as a field, um, physical therapy can help um, in, all, in all of these veins for any secondary issues that may arise from the treatment, from the, mainly from the surgeries, like you said. Now, yeah. do you also focus on um, heart, people that have had heart disease or may be recuperating from any type of heart conditions? Yeah, I, I personally, um, no. I, Post-COVID, we actually did a, a continuing ed course about how COVID has affected condition, overall condition and deconditioning. And you actually follow a very similar protocol with heart disease in terms of be able to condition a patient. Um, if there was actually a heart surgery, same thing, like you have uh, scar tissue uh, over the heart, but in terms of actual heart disease, there there's a branch of physical therapy that does that actually in the hospital, like cardiovascular physical therapy. I wouldn't say it's in the vein of women's health necessarily, but there is there are things that I can do to advise in order to just help understand the changes in the body and then just to build a general conditioning um, for the patient. Sure. And then um, going over to Maris, Maris, you uh, work with, as a doula, specializing in all these different areas. Have you run into women who have 
gotten pregnant, perhaps after going through a cancer diagnosis and going through the chemotherapy, radiation, or have you worked with anyone that has had any type of heart condition post-birth, anything like that? We have had clients who have experienced history of cancer, who work with or are pregnant with heart conditions, for example, and it definitely can impact both their experience of pregnancy and their relationship to their autonomy with their body as well um, in pregnancy, which is something that we work really hard with families to make sure that they feel they've got body literacy and that autonomy and that empowerment over their body and making choices, which I think especially for clients with difficult health histories, especially anything like cancer or heart disease that might be more difficult or that's where wonderful therapist work um, definitely comes into play in terms of feeling the capacity to reclaim that. I also want to call in that I think related to women's health overall, we see this a lot with patients whose experiences have been with more, you know, difficult health histories is this idea that there is, I want to second that idea of ownership over it as if like, well, if I had examined myself more, like we put this onus on women to like prevent their own health sometimes or like to prevent difficult health histories. We see it a lot with fertility. Um, we see it a lot with managing pregnancy, which I know when we talk about maternal health later on comes in of like how much we put this individual onus on women to, you know, prevent negative health outcomes when it really is systemic. It comes down to education and body literacy and their doctors and providers letting them know what, for example, a heart attack feels like when you're a woman versus a man. And the fact that we don't have, we have this default of like older white men as our health map, and that doesn't apply to so many women experiencing other health outcomes. And so I think we do a lot of unlearning of that in addition to having clients with these difficult health histories um, and knowing, you know, what pain feels like in the body and hardwiring the brain around that too. Um, when it comes to labor and delivery, which is a very different kind of pain. Can I also add, just in having worked with individuals who have been managing cancer and heart disease and different elements, the support they need looks different at different stages. So the level of emotions and overwhelm that they're going to experience in the beginning when they're in shock you know, is crisis intervention on one hand, and then at each stage, as we talk about, as their body changes, or as they look at, okay, I was a young person and had cancer, and now that I've gotten past this, is it okay for me to reproduce? If I have a child, then there's an escalated concern around what am I genetically passing to that child? Is that right? Is that wrong? What kind of potential barriers and then element that I often see show up at least in terms of the, the therapy space is there are a lot of women who feel inconvenienced by a diagnosis of cancer and heart disease in the essence of, I don't have time for this. What will my family do without me? So one of the biggest aspects of support can even be a matter of helping them give themselves permission to focus on their health because they're very wired and geared towards I am here on earth and my sole role in life is to take care of everyone else. So there's a lot of guilt, not only about 
what did I do wrong? But everyone else is now going to have to do things that they're used to me doing. And I feel bad, even though it's life-threatening, there's a very real aspect of them not feeling well. And so there's a lot of emotions. And then that really creates identity dynamics that they also have to work through. And sometimes the family has to work through because the whole family system may need to renegotiate in order to give mom adequate room space to take that autonomy and unlearn her role in the family so that she can take care of herself. Too many women are wandering around feeling lost with zero sense of support, asking questions and looking for outside answers and solutions, but never trusting their own innate wisdom. Samantha Fallhaber helps women tune into their bodies develop a sense of personal knowing, and rediscover their innate wisdom. If you are feeling lonely, find it hard to make personal decisions, and are open to spiritual possibilities, Sam is here to let you know that you can tap into your own spiritual guidance that is always available to you. Check out Samantha's website, linked in the show notes, and check out her Instagram at shamanicsam for a how-to guide on asking questions and getting meaningful answers. As Samantha says, I know this is radical, but it works. Such wonderful points from all of you. Thank you so much. Actually, our two nutritionists, Carrie and Christy, both alluded to this earlier. And so we're just going to dive into that a little bit deeper right now. You had talked about prevention of heart disease and cancer using nutrition And most often when you research heart disease and cancers, the following lifestyle risk factors have been cited as potentially increasing the chance of developing these illnesses, which include alcohol use, smoking, high weight or obesity, limited exercise, poor diet. Practitioners often turn to these behaviors as a primary concern of ailments and focus change for an afflicted individual is to redirect them back to changing any of those particular areas. How is this an accurate directive by healthcare professionals? And in what ways is it leading women astray? I can go first on that just from a nutrition perspective. Sharice is like, yeah. Um, (laughs) So of that, we know that excessive alcohol use causes cancer. We know that smoking causes cancer. We know that getting a variety of foods in your diet and movement are very health-promoting behaviors. The, the place where I kind of get frustrated with the medical field is that it, you know, so often when we go to the doctor, we're dismissed with lose some weight, eat better, move some, lose some weight. And it doesn't fully address, you know, a lot of times the complaints that we come in for, it doesn't get women adequate testing they need for complaints that they're presenting with, which causes a lot of misdiagnosis or diagnoses way too late in the game when it could have been caught at an earlier time or, or helped, you know, earlier before it had gotten worse. I think that, again, just kind of the weight stigma of going to the doctor and always being told, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight lose sight of complaints. And it's fairly dismissive. If we actually want to affect change, it's getting clients to a dietitian. It's getting clients 
to a PT that can help with mobility. It's referring them to substance use facility or a smoking cessation program. You know, those are the things that I see. And that's definitely one of my passion projects is to kind of help people understand that from my perspective. I think that's a great point. I just want to jump on as the other dietitian, because I feel like we share the same uh, thought. I agree. I think prevention is important. I mean, I think the statistic is something like 42% of cancers are preventable, but we need to make sure that the recommendations that we're giving about prevention are not solely weight focused, like Christy mentioned, because there is health at every size, but also that are culturally appropriate because there are some things that when we think like, oh, poor diet, just white rice is the first thing that comes to my mind. That's a very cultural thing that people, they're like, oh, well, that's bad. You should be having brown rice. That's just one simple example, but we need to make sure that the recommendations we're giving are truly appropriate and culturally sensitive as well. And also just to touch back on the guilt that you guys talked about previously, yes, 42% is preventable, but that means 58% isn't. So we need to also make sure that we're taking that into account and really supporting the mental health of these women as well. And for me in my profession, I have the weight conversation, but I tend to go, I assume that there's maybe something else that's causing the weight issue, right? So you don't just say, well, you need to exercise more. Well, maybe their back hurts and their knees hurt and they can't, you know? So I have found that to be very beneficial, at least in my profession to really just try to meet the patient where they are and just say, Hey, I, I, I know you want to move and I know your knees hurt. So we're going to get your pain better so that you can move, you know, cause just sitting with a doctor and saying, well, your knees hurt. Cause if you lost weight, they would hurt less. And it's like, well, I can't walk. <laughs> so, so what am I supposed to do? Um, and making that assumption that they're just not trying and there, there may be a reason as to why, and then trying to help attack that reason with them as like their, their um, helper and, and their advocate instead of just assuming that they're not doing it or that they haven't tried um, something. So that's, that's what's been helpful to me um, to, to acknowledge that, yes, you, you know, losing weight would be helpful to you, but let's talk about how, at least from the physical point of view, how can I help you achieve that? And then likewise, you're going to have situations where even though we're talking about the concept of high weight, obesity, limited exercise, you know, what about the individuals who hear those same diagnoses where weight is not an issue? right, who are also in a situation of going, I have had the opportunity to eat well and I move. And so I don't understand how that I got here, but then kind of going back to where we started, we do live in a society and in a country just within the US and and globally as well, where diet is a privilege. So we don't often take into account the access that an individual may have. So someone may go to the doctor and go, you're, you know, morbidly obese here. And this is happening in this dynamic. Here's what you need to do. And that appointment is over. And there's often not any additional resources around a dietitian, a PT, a therapist, or anyone to say, and here are some individuals that you can reach out to that can work with you and help look at your life. Um, Look at the concept of your integrative health because environmental factors influence stress. Stress is influencing appetite. Appetite is influencing sleep. Then we've got epigenetics, history of trauma, and all of those dynamics interconnect and kind of load their, you know, genome 
and gut microbiome, which can increase the likelihood that they have all of these dynamics. And that's not common knowledge. So someone is then left with that major piece and that's where it becomes harmful because you have an individual who now feels like if I were thin, this wouldn't be happening. So it can be costly because we're putting too much onus on the visual aspect of what's being seen without taking time to treat the whole person and really look at, is this also an individual who has a history of child loss and has had significant number of changes in terms of body composition based on those complications? And how is that impacting their mental health and the way they show up with food? So it just reduces it down to a very minute dynamic that doesn't look at the whole picture, it can leave a person feeling helpless. Guess what? Everyone has a spine and nervous system and can benefit from chiropractic care. Anytime there is stress on your nervous system, your body may not function properly. Many people are unaware that children can benefit from chiropractic care. They assume that seeing a chiropractor is just something you do when you're an adult dealing with a bad back, stiff joints, or poor posture. True story, that was me for the longest time. For example, as a newborn, you might struggle to latch or breastfeed. As a toddler, you might experience digestive issues that threaten proper nourishment. As a teen, poor posture, heavy backpacks, contact sports, and normal growing pains can lead to your child experiencing headaches, scoliosis, PMS, back pain, and ADD, ADHD. I definitely wish I had known about chiropractic care when I was a teen. Additionally, as a pregnant woman, you might have persistent lower back pain, which chiropractic care can be a huge help for. Believe it or not, these issues are all related to your nervous system and they can all improve with chiropractic care. Chiropractic care aims to improve the function of your spine and nervous system so that your body can function at its best. Don't wait for the pain. Contrary to popular belief, you don't have to be in pain to seek out chiropractic care. In fact, pain is typically the last symptom that is expressed when the spine isn't in proper alignment. Think of chiropractic care as a healthy lifestyle habit. The same way you brush your teeth to prevent cavities, you should go for regular chiropractic adjustments to promote better spine and nervous system health. I've never thought of it that way. Davis Family Chiropractic serves families in the Raleigh area. They want to help you discover the root cause of your problem, address it, and give your body the best tools it needs to heal. Davis Family Chiropractic focuses on prenatal and pediatric chiropractic care, and their doctors are both certified in the Webster technique, which can be helpful throughout pregnancy or simply as an intervention if a baby is breached. Prenatal chiropractic care helps to keep mom comfortable during pregnancy and helps to get your baby in the best possible position for birth. Davis Family Chiropractic sees kids of all ages, from birth through teenagers, to make sure that your child is developing properly and adapting to life. Visit Davis Family Chiropractic at daviscaironc.com and on social media at daviscaironc. Improve your family's health before it becomes an issue. Thank you so much, everybody. We are going to shift gears a little bit into a topic that is incredibly important to us, maternal health. Maternal health is an issue we've talked about a great deal at Her Health Collective and on the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. According to Mom Congress, the U.S. has the highest rate of maternal deaths in the developed world, and that number has doubled in the last 25 years. 
The U.S. is the only industrialized nation to see maternal mortality rates rising. We are actually going backwards. Other stats shared include 50,000 women a year nearly die from pregnancy-related complications in the U.S., and more than 700 women do actually die from pregnancy-related complications in the U.S., Black women are three to four times more likely to die in these situations than white women. And 60% of those deaths are completely preventable. I would love to know, in your opinion, why is the U.S. going backwards on this issue? There are a myriad of reasons, of course, but just off the top of my head, we have a complete lack of comprehensive prenatal care in the U.S. in many communities. I believe it was Dr. Sharif, you pointed out, right? We have these individuals who arrive to their healthcare appointments, maybe even to just confirm a pregnancy, which we don't have great sexual health education or comprehensive sexual health education in this country either, but so many women might, you know, show up in their community and they're like, okay, you're pregnant, come back in three months, bye. Like, (laughs) what? Like, we don't have comprehensive nutritional care. We don't have comprehensive education or like, you know, it has to be community organizers or folks in the communities helping moms understand what's healthy or what's safe, or again, like letting them rest, right? If we have this reliance on women in family dynamics or in communities to just keep going. Additionally, we have an over-reliance on interventions and particularly surgical births that are not necessary. Um, I believe the statistics are about 10 to 15% of cesarean deliveries are medically necessary, and the U.S.'s rate is around 33%, with that being higher in some hospitals than others. We also see a lack of postpartum follow-through, and I know particularly with Black maternal mortality rates, medical racism prevents or actively invalidates pain Black women are experiencing while pregnant, while in labor and delivery, while immediately postpartum. And this affects women in all communities, but also this almost killed Beyonce, this almost killed Serena Williams. Like this is medical racism across U.S. labor and delivery systems and maternal health outcomes. And so those are just a handful of reasons off the top of my head. But something that is very uniquely affecting the U.S. in particular between this lack of comprehensive universal health care for women and the way in which medical racism is ingrained in our reproductive health care system. Talking about kind of the ingrained racism in the medical system, there's new research showing that discrimination or even the threat of discrimination can start to impact your health. And with our climate in the U.S. um, the last couple of years, especially with the hate crimes and the hate speech. If you are a non-white, non-Christian, non-English speaking woman, you are likely not feeling as accepted. And if you are experiencing that during pregnancy, a time where your body is already going through a lot to create this new life form, you likely are having kind of increased stress, not only from your pregnancy, but also just the world around you not supporting in the way that it should. And we know that stress increases our cortisol levels and cortisol levels when they're elevated can cause a host of symptoms from having high blood pressure to 
increasing your risk of hormonal imbalances, to increasing the risk of having low birth weight babies, to making it that you have to deliver early. And so really it's just kind of setting up the cycle of, okay, now our women aren't being as supported in the medical environment, but they're also having all of these extra things that they have to worry about and manage and, and juggle. And now these babies are potentially born premature and low birth rate. I know there's statistics that black women are two times more likely to have a child die in the first year before its first birthday than white women. And so again, I definitely think it's something as a society we need to address because it really is unfortunate. Next week, we continue this discussion on the top women's health-related concerns. The discussion will begin where we left off on maternal health, as the experts talk about the number of systemic issues within our healthcare system and how they've seen it play out in their profession. They also share what improvement in this area would look like. We then move into a detailed discussion on reproductive and mental health as top health concerns affecting women. The experts had so much valuable feedback on cancer, heart disease, and maternal health, which were the top concerns we discussed today. We wouldn't even think of ending this episode without providing you with our three takeaways. So here's number one. Each of the experts expressed how they attempt to support individuals using their own area of expertise. Individuals who are afflicted with heart disease or cancer need to make changes that are going to be beneficial to their treatment, but not feel unsustainable unmanageable and create even more overwhelm when it's coupled with the diagnosis. The support an individual receives looks different at various stages of their journey. However, professionals attempt to shift how they assist their clients as the needs of the client evolve. Number two, when you research heart disease and cancers, you will most likely see a common theme in the lifestyle risk factors that have been cited as potentially increasing the chance of developing these illnesses. These risk factors include alcohol use, smoking, high weight or obesity, limited exercise, and poor diet. Practitioners often turn to these behaviors as a primary concern of ailments, and change for an afflicted individual is often to redirect them back to the changing of any of the previously mentioned areas. The experts supported the research that smoking, excessive alcohol use increased the risk of cancer and heart disease. We also know that getting a variety of foods in our diet and movement are very health-promoting behaviors. Where the experts feel women are being led astray is when women are dismissed with instructions to just lose weight. They tell clients to eat better, move some, lose some weight, and it doesn't fully address the complaints that the women are mentioning. It doesn't get women adequate testing they need for what they're presenting with, and this can cause late and or misdiagnoses. Doctors need to go beyond the weight stigma and address underlying concerns while giving referrals to appropriate support. Number three, maternal health is a topic that is near and dear to her health collective. Based on statistics, the U.S. is seeing a rise in the number of pregnancy-related complications. We asked the experts for their opinions on why the U.S. is going backwards on this issue. The experts mentioned a lack of comprehensive care, ingrained racism in the medical system, lack of support for women in the medical environment, which causes increased stress hormones, therefore possibly causing a host of additional negative health responses in the mother and unborn child. This is an extremely unfortunate problem that requires immediate attention. 
High five, friend. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us to be the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you've enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.